This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Was not able to record last night, so for all of you subscribers that are listening, uh, and we're expecting a normal Thursday morning episode. I had a family thing last night, so I wasn't able to record. Uh, but that's the first time I've been off schedule with the Prospect Podcast, and I hope to never have that issue again. And I'm certainly going to give it my all to not have any off schedule postings of the Prospect. But after this episode, I will be going to one episode per week in the summer, a mix of 2020 draft stuff and look aheads to young players at the NFL level. But I'm recording too. This is a, way different for two reasons: recording on Thursday, and I'm recording from my porch for a few reasons. Number one, it is very nice out in Western New York, so much so that I need to be outside. And more importantly, both of my daughters are sleeping upstairs. And although it's great to have an office in this new house that we moved into in September, I have come to find out that my office is directly below their bedrooms. And not only that, but the venting does not really make it easy for either of them to fall asleep if I'm recording in the office. I'm usually doing it at night. They're fast asleep. No worries. But during the day, uh, it's difficult for them to nap. And they had kind of that morning where you know your kids just really need a nap. So I'm on the porch. If you hear birds chirping, to get that Augusta National feel, that is the reason why. And hopefully it just enhances your listening experience more so than uh, it being annoying. NFC South draft grades are going to end this draft grade series. And I'm going to start with the Atlanta Falcons because they have been certainly in the news over the last couple of days. We heard some rumors around the time of the draft a month ago that they were going to maybe have to trade Julio Jones because of a cap situation. And then it kind of died down all that speculation. And now it's arisen and it's kind of interesting because it's like you restructure Matt Ryan You draft Kyle Pitts, you're ready to load up, go all in with this new head coach, Arthur Smith, but now you have to trade Julio Jones. I kind of like it though. I've kind of, it's, I've kind of been okay with it the more I've thought about it because it's almost like they're trying to rebuild while still being competitive at the same time. And I, and I get like, if they go 10 and seven this year, which would be a big, uh, win loss boost from where they were last season. But if they have a good season, then your draft pick is not necessarily very high. Uh, it'll be interesting though, to see what they can get for Julio Jones. Actually this morning, ESPN's Diana Rossini reported that they do indeed have a first round pick offered. And the Titans are presumably not one of those teams because she sent out another tweet that said the Titans have been in talks with the Falcons, but they at this point are a long shot to land Julio Jones. That would make sense personnel wise for Tennessee, but the cap situation there is not the greatest. That's probably why they feel that they can't offer something enormous for Julio Jones. And we'll see in the next couple of days, which apparently when this trade will go down, maybe by early next week after Memorial day, 
what they ultimately get for him. And we'll see if this Rusini report was just the Falcons leaking it out there that they have a first round pick when they really don't to try to drive up the price because most of the speculation has been second, third round. But jumping into the Falcons draft, Kyle Pitts made a lot of sense. Like just from the player and really the need, I thought it was fine at number four overall. He's a wide receiver. He was the best pass catcher um, after Jalen Waddell um, for a lot of people in this draft class. Best tight end, I should say. And but the one thing that is so intriguing when these when teams release war room videos, draft night videos a few weeks out from the draft, we know that the Lions called the Falcons when they went on the clock at number four overall. And the Lions were sitting at number seven overall. They ultimately landed Penny Sewell and seemed thrilled about it. Could the Falcons have traded back and still landed Kyle Pitts while getting extra draft capital? Maybe they felt with the Cincinnati Bengals at five and the Miami Dolphins at six, one of those two teams would have ultimately gone Kyle Pitts. We know that they went Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell. But you have to wonder, could they have gotten extra capital and still gotten Kyle Pitts at number nine overall? So I... Loved it on draft night. I thought it made sense. And at this at this point to say, hey, well, we're losing Julio Jones. Let's get another freak of nature at the pass catcher spot for these final two years with Matt Ryan. I get it. After that, in round two, I gave an A-plus grade to the selection of safety Richie Grant from UCF. If you are, If you are a prospect podcast listener or follow me on Twitter, read my work, you know that I had Richie Grant as a first-round safety in this draft class. He just does everything. He's not like amazing in terms of his range as a free safety, but he covers a slot like a, a very capable nickel corner, very good against the run, instinctive, middle of the field, makes a lot of plays. I think he's going to be a really good player. And that defense outside of Grady Jarrett, this was kind of my thing during the pre-draft process. Outside of Jerry, Grady Jarrett, that defense has been starving for stars since that Super Bowl. Deion Jones has been hurt, Keanu Neal as well. Desmond Trufant got up there in age is, is obviously no longer with the team. They need playmakers, especially in their secondary. They picked A.J. Terrell last season. They had a decent rookie year. Not great, but none of the rookie corners were really that good, uh, especially the high-profile ones. Like, Legereus Sneed being a fourth-round pick was, like, the star rookie safety last season. So I thought that was a fantastic pick. He's going to boost that secondary immediately. Then Jalen Mayfield at 68. There was some early on in the process – First round buzz for him. I didn't ever really see that. I th- think I ultimately had him graded like second or third round. And into the offensive line, I don't think it's a bad idea. Some of these early picks that they've made, uh, especially and most namely Caleb McGarry, have not really turned out at this point or up until this point. And with Matt Ryan in his late 30s, it makes sense. Fortify the offensive line. Get more depth there. I think playing guard, playing tackle, he can be that swing guy at either position. Uh, did a pretty good job against Chase Young two years ago. He wasn't the cleanest on film, but he wasn't terrible either. The balance, the strength, fundamentals were pretty good. Then at 108 overall, Darren Hall gave a B minus, the corner out of uh, San Diego State. Very sudden. He's an outside corner. I think he's got good recovery speed, uh, a lot of ball production at San Diego State. I think he can be a, a quality fourth round pick that is a, a decent contributor on a secondary that, again, needs a lot of help. Then Drew Dahlman, the uh, center from Stanford, with their second pick in the fourth round, 114 overall. I wrote that he was one of the few NFL-ready centers in this class. 
very low pad level, super quick off a snap, executes any type of block you need in the run game fantastically coming from that Stanford program. Very assignment sound, does need to get stronger, needs to get a better anchor. That's the case with pretty much every blocker not named Tristan Wirfs, who's entered the NFL the last couple of seasons. Maybe Jedrick Wills, too, last year. I thought even Mekhi Becton being as big as he was, there were times where he got pushed back. Very good as a run blocker, but in general, to not go off on a tangent about the Jets with this NFC South podcast, Drew Dahlman has what it takes to be a starting center in the NFL. I think even by halfway into his rookie year, he can be starting for the Falcons on the inside. Although they do have Matt Hennessy from Temple, who they picked last year. I really liked his game, too. They're kind of similar prospects. Guard centers, very athletic, good handwork recovery ability if they are beaten because they're so athletic. Drew Dalman tested very well, and I think it, that, again, was a smart pick to maybe even not for the Matt Ryan era, but into the future, say next year or the year after, if they pick their quarterback of the future, to have a really good offensive line. That's smart to have those pieces in place. Um, and then Eddie Ogundeji, the edge rusher from Notre Dame, which was actually their second pick in round five. I'll, I'll get back to their other fifth rounder in a second. I think I just jumped ahead to Eddie Ogundeji because I loved his film at Notre Dame. Very, very long, knows how to use his hands, very efficient with those pass rushing plans. And I thought he was pretty bendy. He didn't test very well. And I think that's probably part of the reason why he was available at 182 overall. But I think for a, a player to be picked that late, he was pretty polished. You don't usually see rushers that can win in a variety of ways, supreme length to corral a quarterback if they do create a pressure. And I thought he had pretty good speed to power and bend too. He just seemed like, to me, a day two pick that the Falcons got well into the third day of the draft. But about 40 picks earlier, Taquan Graham, the defensive lineman in round five, I gave it a B minus, very thick lower half, looked like he was well over 300 pounds, 6'4", 294 uh, in this pre-draft process. Pretty good handwork and very good as a run block, or as a run defender, I should say. And I loved his bull rush. That If you don't have a ton of pass rushing moves, if you have at least a good bull rush that's very powerful and has a very good center of gravity, very low, then you can win early on in your NFL career. And I think Taquan Graham can. Again, the defense needed a lot of work. And that was a priority in this draft class after picking Kyle Pitts and just going offensive lineman. Then their third pick in round five, final selection in that round, Falcons picked Avery Williams, the cornerback from Boise State. Crazy good kick returner. And I thought he was a better kick and punt returner than he was a as a nickel corner, but the athleticism and the speed is certainly there. In round five, though, you're talking about someone that is definitely a developmental type in your secondary, but just load up that secondary. It need it needed an infusion of young talent. Isaiah Oliver, their second-round pick from the 2018 draft class out of Colorado, hasn't really materialized as that playmaker like he was in college. So just add more secondary help. I'm completely fine with that. And I like the fact that as Avery Williams is developing early in his career, he can be a good, really good kick returner. The vision, uh, subtly being able to juke without losing a lot of speed, I thought was fantastic. And then in the sixth round, very intriguing pick, Frank Darby. 187 overall. I had a much earlier grade on him. I thought he fourth or fifth round would have made a lot of sense for him. Maybe even third round. I wouldn't have cared if a team would have picked him there because the traits are through the roof. 
He is very sudden off the line, knows how to beat press, super sharp route runner, explosive down the field player. But at Arizona State, playing with Nikhil Harry and playing with Brandon Ayuk, two first-round prospects at the receiver spot, he wasn't very productive. And then in 2020, thought, okay, this is going to be the year for Jalen or for Frank Darby to be that next top prospect at Arizona State. Didn't really produce. Wasn't a high-volume target. So I'm a little concerned about that. But I thought he ran great routes, and it was fun watching him play because he is really explosive, and he's a big body too. I think at the very least he'll be a good downfield threat for them. So overall. I think the Falcons did a fantastic job. I, I really do. It was one of my favorite draft classes. It's kind of low-key. We didn't hear a lot about it after the draft. I thought it was a very good draft class. I'm giving them an A- minus for the work that they did. Needs, positional value, uh, just value in terms of the prospect that they ultimately picked. I think that is a solid core. They had a lot of picks. You'll see a lot of these players over the next couple of seasons making plays in Falcons uniforms. All right, next team in the NFC South, we're going to go to the Carolina Panthers. Interesting draft class. I think it is one of the more instant impact draft classes of any team in the NFL. And there's kind of a difference between being really good in terms of your draft class and being instant impact. Some of these guys may not ultimately play well, but they drafted, and because they are kind of rebuilding, players that are going to be playing right away and we are going to see them if they're good or they're bad within their rookie seasons. I mean, not that we will ultimately close the the book on them if they're bad or think they're superstars, if they're amazing right away, but instant impact JC Horn at number eight overall. I have long been on the record. I was not as high on JC Horn or Patrick Sertan, the first two corners in this draft class. I thought they should have been picked Sertan late round one, mid to late round one and JC Horn early round two. But I understand, just knowing the history of cornerbacks that go early, why they were picked so early. Because they're long, they're explosive, they they check all the physical boxes. They look like first-round picks on paper. When J.C. Horn can beat you up at the line of scrimmage and get really handsy, he's going to suffocate you. Ask Seth Williams, the Broncos' day three selection, who went to Auburn. He's 6'3", 210, this rebounder type, and had a terrible day against J.C. Horn in that matchup against South Carolina because Horn is long, he's explosive, wants to get in your face. When he's dealing with quick separators, I don't think he's as effective. I don't think he's super natural uh, in terms of being a coverage corner that can stay in phase with wide receivers throughout their routes. He's explosive, but I don't know if J.C. Horn is super sudden in terms of changing directions. Picked him at number eight overall. I think they could have gone in a lot of other directions. And what's factored into this too, I'm not a big believer in Sam Darnold. I thought they were certainly being as much as that they were in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes before all the legal issues with the quarterback. I thought they still could have gone corner. They still could have gone corner quarterback. I'm getting my words mixed up here. Corner quarterback. They still could have gone with a passer. How about I say that? At number eight overall, and right after they kind of fell out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, or those kind of died down, and then even after. The Panthers traded for Sam Darnold. There was a lot of reports out there. Hey, they could still be in the quarterback market. Well, they passed on Mac Jones and Justin Fields at number eight overall to pick a corner that I wasn't super high on. So I didn't love that pick. I think it'll be a good player. I just think ultimately in a few years, we're going to be like, oh, they could have picked four, five, six, seven other really good players there at number eight overall. But I did think that they rebounded at 59 overall with Terrace Marshall. The connection with Joe Brady cannot be... Uh, understated here. I, I think it is very, or overstated, I should say. Geez, maybe it's 
recording outside is maybe not the best thing. Uh, but with Terrace Marshall, I like the fact that he has the connection with Joe Brady, uh, had double-digit touchdowns in 2019 in that national title winning season at LSU with Joe Brady as his offensive coordinator. I think he fell because there were some issues and some concerns about his, his knee, uh, some injury issues. I don't really factor those in. I thought Terrace Marshall was like a late one, early two in terms of just his talent and his film. Kind of a, a jagged runner. He's not crazy twitchy, but he's explosive. And being 6'2", over 200 pounds with a big wingspan, big hands, I think he will be that size speed specimen down the field. He's kind of like, and at a much lesser degree, although he is very fast, he just kind of, his game reminded me of like DK Metcalf, that you don't want him throttling down very much, but when you can keep him on the vertical route tree, posts, corners, go routes, just throw it up to him, he can be a serious downfield threat. I think I actually compared him to DJ Chark, another LSU wide receiver before the draft. Then Brady Christensen, at number 70 overall. Oh, and by the way, when talking about instant impact, Terrace Marshall's going to play right away. They lost Curtis Samuel. They have DJ Moore. They have Robbie Anderson. Terrace Marshall's going to play. If he's healthy, he's going to be that number three in that offense for Sam Darnold. Brady Christensen at 70. Very clean pass rushing or pass blocking film at BYU last season. I don't think he's as athletic as his pro day would indicate. He had an amazing workout. I thought there were times where he was a little stiff um, recovering. Very good run blocker, but him and Greg Little are going to have a battle for that left tackle spot, and I won't be surprised if Brady Christensen ultimately wins that battle. And being that he's 24 years old, he's got to be instant impact. They can't wait until year three when he's 26, 27 uh, to get some dividends from Brady Christensen. I I like that pick. I gave it a B plus. And then at 83 overall, they picked Tommy Tremble. I was kind of alone on an island, not being as high on Tommy Tremble as everyone else. I think at this stage of the game with tight ends, when you see someone that's a great blocker, you just feel so good about it because there's so many that are terrible. 90% of them are not good blockers or aren't even asked to block. Tommy Tremble really gets after it in the run game as a blocker because Notre Dame wanted to run the football pretty much throughout his entire career. He tested well, and that certainly helps him and was probably part of the reason why he was picked at 83 overall. Didn't think he had reliable hands and wasn't really a big part of the pass game. So there's a lot of projection with his game, but outside of Ian Thomas, there's a pretty big need at the tight end spot. And they probably want to give uh, Sam Darnold as many options as possible the check down game, you know, those stop routes that are five, 10 yards down the field, five to eight yards down the field, throwing swing passes to your tight end on bootlegs. Tommy Tremble will be part of the attack in Carolina, I think, even as a rookie. And he helps Christian McCaffrey. He helps the run game. Speaking of the run game, Chuba Hubbard, 126 overall. I think, I mean, he's going to battle with Reggie Bonifon, but is to me, in a very good position to be the number two immediately to Christian McCaffrey. We know how crazy productive he was in 2019 over 2000 yards rushing and that wide open Oklahoma state offense without it being as good in terms of being a pass offense in 2020, the stats dropped considerably for him. But I think with Chuba Hubbard, good vision and deceptive speed down the field. So when the blocking is good and it should be better in 2021, for Carolina than it was last season, he can hit big plays. 
he's not crazy elusive. There's not a lot of sinking his hips and jump cutting, making linebackers miss in space. Not a lot of contact balance uh, or um, not great contact balance that allows him to create after contact. But block a play well for him, and he can hit some big plays. I think the acceleration through the second level, third level is very good. Davion Nixon at 158 overall, I thought was a steal. He had a second-round grade for me, uh, was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year because of how good of a pass rusher he was. And I thought being a a pass-rushing specialist in today's NFL, like I thought he had much higher value than round five. Good pass-rushing moves, knows how to use his hands, pretty agile. And then he tested, like, or he measured in a lot bigger with a lot longer arms than people expected. I think he's going to be a force. Play next to Derrick Brown on that defensive line, and we know Derrick Brown is going to draw a lot of double teams. I think Davion Nixon might be the steal of this entire draft class for Carolina. Keith Taylor, a few picks later at 166 overall, the corner from Washington, infamously had no interceptions in college, but the film was very good. He, For being a tall, long corner, uh, I thought his athleticism, his suddenness, the lightness in his feet, very impressive. Across the board, very aware when the football arrives, got his hands on the football, was never able to really reel it in. So I think maybe that's why he dropped a little bit. Then in the sixth round, they had three sixths. We'll go through these relatively quickly. Deontay Brown from Alabama, great depth on the interior at the guard position. We know how great he is with his anchor, paving lanes for the run game. You're not pushing him back into the quarterback. Very limited lateral explosiveness, of course, being 6'3", almost 350 pounds. But his film was pretty good. In the SEC, to put really good film out there, that says something as a blocker. I like that. He he could play early on, but if at the very least, he's great depth for that offensive line that did need some upgrades in the trenches. Shai Smith at 204. He's skinny. He's a very aggressive slot receiver. He's not as explosive or dynamic after the catch as you would expect for being this lighter slot receiver. He actually, to me, plays bigger than his size in contested catch situations. Good leaping ability, tracks it very well, very aggressive attacking the football. Um, I think you do have to kind of scheme him space. I don't think he's someone that's going to make defenders miss on a routine basis, but I like how authoritative he is on the football field. And just add to that wide receiver group that just lost Curtis Samuel uh, in free agency. Thomas Fletcher from Alabama, uh, I wasn't huge on them using a pick on a long snapper when you're rebuilding. I gave this a D. I, I know the counter to this is, well, they drafted someone that will definitely be on the field. Well, you can get other long snappers. You don't have to draft a long snapper ever. Then at round seven, Phil Hoskins, uh, he's a pretty skilled rusher. He's a defensive lineman on the interior from Kentucky. I think he's just tapping into how good he can be. I like that there's a spin move to his game. He's kind of a dancing bear on the interior. Worth a late-round flyer. This is a seventh-round pick, 232 overall. I gave that a C plus. He was a little bit off the draft radar. Didn't hear a lot about him potentially getting picked. That could have been a selection like, hey, we want you as an undrafted free agent. And then his agent says, hey, well, you better draft me because there's going to be a lot of teams interested. Just add to the defensive line. Get more pass-rushing ability. Uh, more so than just having Derek Brown on the on the inside there. So overall, I think the Carolina Panthers did a really good job too. I'm going to give them a B 
to B plus somewhere in that range. They added a lot of picks, which is good for a young team. I like the diverse. They picked a lot of different positions. They added to it to their secondary. They brought in a bunch of offensive line help, picked uh, two offensive linemen. Terrace Marshall, I think is going to be a good player in a niche role in this offense. Just wasn't crazy into the selection of JC Horn at number eight overall, although he will be the number one corner on that team right away, unless I'm completely blanking on who the number one corner is in Carolina. Even if he's a number two, he's going to be playing a lot of snaps as a rookie, but the big athletic or explosive, I should say, first round corners have not really fared well dealing with these amazing quick separators at the NFL level over the last couple of seasons. Next NFC South team, let's go with the New Orleans Saints. Big year for them, moving on from Drew Brees, of course. Hopefully, Jameis Winston is the quarterback, not Taysom Hill. I think he really hamstrings what they can do offensively, although because his team is still one of the better or has one of the better rosters in the NFL, I think, as we saw last year, Taysom Hill can be the starter and they can win games. Peyton Turner in the first round at number 28 overall. I had him graded like in the early 40s, so I wasn't like, oh, this is a gigantic reach. A lot of people were like, oh, that's the weird pick from the Saints or, or, or that's the completely off the radar first round selection. His film was really, really good. He's uh, almost built like a, a uh, someone who's been in the NFL for three to five years, like 6'5", 270, had an amazing workout at that size at the Houston Pro Day. Very similar to Justin Houston. And I think on the field, he's very similar to Justin Houston. Pass rush moves, very good. Heavy hands. There's a lot of shock when he is in those point of attack situations. And to revert back to someone I just talked about, go watch the Houston-BYU game from 2020. And that was a game that Zach Wilson struggled in early on and had to lead his team back to win that game. Peyton Turner really gave it to Brady Christensen in that game. I thought for being this big, super thick, very chiseled, defensive end Peyton Turner had good short area quickness good suddenness off the snap could threaten just with that first step and then can counter to the inside can swipe spin move I like adding to that defensive line especially with Cam Jordan getting up there in age they lost Trey Hendrickson in free agency and with Marcus Davenport hopefully he can be healthy Cameron Jordan and now Peyton Turner they have some big physical freaks at the defensive end spot. And we know it's still a premium position in today's NFL. Then Pete Warner, Werner at 60 overall. I gave this an A minus. I watched him late in the process. Absolutely loved his film. I thought he was the best Ohio state linebacker in this draft class. Freaky range uh, instincts in coverage made plays on the football, short area quickness and explosion and sustained speed to the ball carrier were all very good was very big at the Ohio state pro day, like six two, almost two forty, and tested like he was a lot smaller. I think beyond having Demario Davis, they needed more athleticism next to him. And they definitely get that with Pete Warner who can cover the slot. He can cover tight ends. I think he's going to be a very good player at the NFL level. And then Paulson Adebo, the corner from Stanford at 76 overall late riser in the process crazy ball production at Stanford opted out in 2020 his 2019 wasn't as good as his 2020 but I thought this was someone um that 
early on after the 2018 season, there was, I mean, go check early 2019 mock drafts after the 2018 draft. And it was like, oh, he's a first round pick because there was like double digit pass breakups, multiple seasons. He's tall. He's a little stiff in his transition, but explosive and keen instincts to find the football. Adding to that secondary is never a bad idea, uh, especially with an early pick. Then after all those three picks that I really liked, Ian Book in the fourth round. I did not see an NFL quarterback. There could be some thought to this that Sean Payton sees him as kind of the next Taysom Hill, that he's this receiver. They can throw him passes. He can run the ball because he was very uh, effective as a scrambler at Notre Dame. But I thought his accuracy, his pocket presence, decision-making were all bad. Not of NFL caliber. And they pick him in round four. So did not like that pick. That was one of my least favorite picks in the entire draft, if I'm being honest. In round six, 206 overall, Landon Young. He's very tall. And he has good quickness for being that tall. He'll, he's not stiff. Normally 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 you're talking about someone that's not that tries to win with their size and their length. That's not really Young's game. He's got good quickness off the snap. Uh, he can deal with those athletic players around the corner. Um, he just needs to get a little bit stronger. And I think that's ultimately what I say with a lot of these prospects. But that's fine because they have a good offensive line there in New Orleans, and you're picking them at 206 overall. And then Kawan Baker. It's a very, very late watch for me. South Alabama wide receiver. Or South Alabama? Is that right? Why does that not sound right to me? Let me check this. I should know what's going in. Anyway, very productive. Yeah, South Alabama. I don't know why I was thinking that was different. Um, very athletic and very good size six foot over 200 pounds tested very well and you see production at even at a smaller school level or lesser competition and you see the athleticism in round seven go ahead and take that flyer i'm completely fine with that so overall the saints uh not a ton of picks but this is i, I guess still a super bowl contender definitely a, a legitimate contender in the nfc to win the division or, or to at least give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers some competition. Um, but again, we don't really know how this offense is going to look. It's to go from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston is like the polar opposites. You have the Taysom Hill dynamic. I think they did a good job. It's still one of the better rosters in the NFL. So they didn't have clear cut needs, or this is not necessarily an instant impact type of draft class, like the Carolina Panthers. Cause they're, teams in different spots, franchises that are in different situations in terms of winning now, winning as opposed to building for the future. So overall, a couple of A's, that D-plus for Ian Book, a couple of C's late, C-pluses late. I'm going to give the Saints B minus, C-plus to B-minus. So I, I didn't love it, but I think they did a relatively good job uh, building out their roster for now and for the future. Then last but not least, and it's fitting to end this NFL draft grade series with the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At 32 overall, Joe Tryon didn't love it. I thought he was more of a second round pick, like distinctly like late second round. But there was a lot of late first round buzz for him throughout the entire pre-draft process. He opted out in 2020. Tall, linear. Those are the two things you got to like know about him. And very good motor. And I saw on film occasionally a good inside move, 
but that was really it. He won with his energy, with the ability to win around the corner, and that was pretty much it. I did not see a lot of pass rushing moves. I did not see uh, someone that was super bendy. A lot of speed to power conversion. So he was someone I thought was a very good prospect. I just wouldn't have picked him this early. But given the age of some guys like William Golston and Jason Pierre-Paul on that defensive line, even for as good as that pass rush was, especially in the playoffs and certainly in the Super Bowl against some backups on the Chiefs, it made sense for them to kind of fortify the future of that defensive end spot. So I didn't hate it, but I didn't love the prospect that early. Then Kyle Trask at 64 overall. Someone I obviously watched very early on in the process. And I thought he was a good prospect. I didn't I never saw any first round buzz that he got like in January and February. Once more people watched his film in terms of uh NFL draft scouts and or analysts and probably head coaches and offensive coordinators after the playoffs. I think that kind of died down. People viewed him as more of a second or a third round pick. I don't know if I would have picked him at 64. But he operated Florida's offense pretty darn well in 2019 and last season. The only thing is, if we're talking about, hey, are we a little worried about Tua after those nine games in 2020? And was Mac Jones really buoyed by how good the Alabama skill position group and offensive line was? That certainly applies to Kyle Trask, too, because he was thrown to a bunch of late round receivers two years ago and then Kyle Pitts. And the offensive line was very good. We know Dan Mullen is a very good offensive mind. The accuracy is good. I think he processes a tick slow and he thinks he's kind of an athlete and a scrambler. He's not going to be able to do that in the NFL. And his arm is, I think, at its absolute best average for today's NFL. But he gets to learn from Tom Brady. And even Blaine Gabbert being there, who's was a bust of a first-round pick, but has stuck around for quite a while. Uh, it's a good situation for him to ultimately land in because I think he can be that more cerebral dink and dunk quarterback learning from Tom Brady. I, he's not going to be someone that's stretching the field a bunch because the arm talent. Um, and I thought his arm talent wasn't good, but he was actually a good deep ball thrower. But that's when everything was perfect. The line was great under pressure, letting it go 15, 20, 30 yards down the field. You saw big time dip in his accuracy decision-making, some interceptions late in the season, balls that were dropped that shouldn't have been dropped, that should have been interceptions. Uh, so, yeah, I think he can be a dink and dunk guy that can occasionally hit the big play over the top. And he is landing in a great situation, not just with Tom Brady, but with that offensive line. Then Robert Hainsey at 95 overall. I gave this an A. Oh, by the way, I gave the Kyle Trask pick a B-. minus. So that, that kind of, it was like, I liked the player a little early, but the situation was good. I gave Robert Hainsey an A. He was so fun to watch on film because his grip strength was tremendous. Once he latched on, there was no getting away from his grasp. I think that's really important. When you're not susceptible to counter moves, whether you're playing tackle or guard, and I think Hainsey has legitimate versatility. He's probably not quite long and athletic enough to be on the outside in the NFL. I think he can be a really good guard. And that was the one kind of clear weakness to that front, Alex Kappa at one of the guard spots there. And when Ali Marpet went down with injury, the depth on the interior was pretty bad. And that's when we saw a little bit of a dip in production throughout the season and efficiency offensively for that Buccaneers offensive line. And certainly with Tom Brady and now with Kyle Trask, if you're projecting way into the future, you want to have good guards and centers. Uh, certainly with Tristan Wirfs, Donovan Smith, and Ryan Jensen, they're good at those positions. 
and really with Ali Marpet, he is one of the better guards in the league. That last guard spot uh, is one that they wanted to kind of fortify, and they I think they can do that with Robert Hainsey down the road. It's got to get stronger, and that's me being a broken record, but I think he can be a good player down the road. Jalen Darden, the wide receiver from North Texas, they just continue to add to this receiver group. And anytime when I, I've been on radio spots or I've written about Teams should just load up at receiver, load up at receiver. I always point to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they signed Antonio Brown last year. They bring Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. They had Scotty Miller flashing. They draft uh, Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. And now they draft Jalen Darden from North Texas. Super productive in his final season in terms of scoring touchdowns for North Texas. And had what I liked is that he showed that he could be a high volume possession guy and he can be an explosive player down the field. I think he's pretty sudden. I think he's a little faster than he is quick, but he's really, really fast. I think he can hit big plays, not only just down the field, but on a bubble screen, on a slant. He can hit the accelerators right away and be a big play threat. But of course, given the depth chart at receiver, in Tampa Bay, and oh, by the way, they're going to be getting O.J. Howard back. Uh, there's not a lot of targets for him, or there won't be a lot of targets for him to ultimately see the football very often as a rookie. But I like the player down the road, and with Chris Godwin being on the franchise tag, uh, it's probably not a bad idea to, again, just add more depth. Antonio Brown got re-signed, but he's older. So they're really much like, or they're really aligning with the thinking of let's Load up at receiver. You can never have too many in today's NFL. KJ Brett at 156 overall linebacker from Auburn. I gave this a B. He's just a great run defender. He's a downhill type. If you came into the league 10 years ago, he probably would have been a second round pick. I'm a little concerned about him in coverage, but 156 overall getting to learn from Levante David and Devin White insanely fast linebacker not a bad position for kj Britt to be in and chris wilcox the corner from byu wasn't a big producer but he's crazy athletic and we know that jason light is obsessed with the athleticism and the explosion figures at the cornerback spot with carlton davis and jamel dean they're stellar young outside corners that were integral in that team making the playoffs, and then winning the Super Bowl last year. So it's worth a flyer at 251 overall. Wasn't really on the draft radar, um, but the athleticism, you love to see that he could play safety as well. Uh, I don't know how great he is staying in phase. I didn't really see that on film, but maybe he could play safety. We have, there's a lot of good safeties in Tampa as well that he could ultimately learn from. And then Mr. Irrelevant. This is like a fitting way to end this, not only with talking about the Bucks, but the last pick I'm discussing Mr. Irrelevant, Grant Stewart. And I watched him late, linebacker from Houston. He's small and squatty, but he is, he plays like he drank five Red Bulls right before the game. He is hyperactive all over the field. It's a little stiff at times, but his closing speed is very good. So his short area quickness, suddenness, not really there. I think he can make plays in coverage though, because he is pretty fast and there's no hesitation to his game. This was probably, at this point, the last pick in the draft. You know, they already pick a linebacker in K.J. Britt. They have a great linebacker tandem. Saying, hey, Levante David has been on our team for 10 years. Let's just try to add some more depth at the linebacker spot. I was didn't love that pick, but I didn't hate it. It was the last pick in the draft. Grant Stewart, the final 
prospect draft pick that I'm going to discuss during the 2021 draft grade series. And overall, I am totally fine with what this reigning Super Bowl championship team did. I'm going to give them a grade of B to B, B minus to B, somewhere in that range. I have a couple C's late, but a lot of B's. The A for Robert Hainsey, B minus for Kyle Trask, B to B minus. And when you bring back the entire band, bring the entire crew back like the Buccaneers did, you don't really have a huge onus, especially in 2021, to load up on the draft. But I think they did a good job looking into the future. All right, that'll do it for me today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the Draft Grade series. Uh, That will wrap this up for the two times per week. I'm going to go to one episode per week here in the summer. Uh, Probably on Wednesday, I will announce um, on Twitter when that will be. Uh, I think Wednesday, middle of the week, seems good for everyone. uh, And I can usually record on Tuesday night. So thank you again so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.